Tyler's message this morning is how to disciple others. Webster said this, if you look it up in the dictionary, a person who subscribes to the teaching of a master and assists in spreading them. One of the companions of Christ. Would you consider yourself a companion of Christ this morning? And only you can answer that. But if you do, you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, there comes a time in your walk with Christ that you should, actually you're expected to, by Christ himself to take another a believer under your arm or under your wing and, and disciple him. Part of our learning experience is being shown how to do things. And uh, I, I'm a slow learner sometimes in a lot of different areas. And I'm sure that many of you are math geniuses. When I, I didn't go back to college until I was 40, I went to a junior college. They called it junior college. It's a community college now in Freeport, Illinois, called Highland. And you had to take a placement test in English and in math, which I failed miserably, both of them. So I had to go to math lab. And what you had to do, you had to work through and be able to pass college algebra. Well, I went and took a placement test. And they gave you these great big books with great big words on them. I got a stinking fraction book. Here's a 40-year-old man had to start in fractions like a third grader. They, anymore, they probably teach fractions in kindergarten. I, I don't know, but anyhow. I had to walk in every day in front of all those kids with that fraction book. But the deal was up front, they had a table with uh, some ladies in it, older ladies, and you could go up there and they'd tutor you on how to get through it. And I finally got through it, but I was up at that desk a lot. And I said today, if you'd hold a gun to my head, you'd have to shoot me because I couldn't work an algebra problem to save my life. <laughs> it was the same way with running equipment on the railroad. It was a lot better for me that if somebody stood or sat by me in the machine, whatever I was running, and showed me how to do it and just stood of trying to tell me. I was running an old crane over in Mattoon. And you that have run equipment, Mike, you probably understand it, but when you'd pull the lever the, with the winch or the, the cable, it'd jump. It, it wasn't smooth, and you couldn't make it smooth. So at the end of this boom on this cable was a big clevis, and you'd hook it on this big plow thing, shear that you'd pick up, and it'd bolt to the side of a gondola, and you'd go down the track plowing this mud out. Well, this foreman, he had less patience than me, and I told him not to hang on to that clevis because this wasn't smooth, and he was always giving hand signals. So I broke him one day. He grabbed a hold of that clevis, and I lifted him about 12 foot off the ground. His feet was a-kicking, and he was a-going. He didn't do it again. <laughs> it's the same way with backhoes. I, I'll never be as good as John Ray, but, you know, it's the thing that somebody put me on it, explained, showed me, and then walked away. And it was like that with all equipment, actually. I think it's the same with our spiritual lives and our growth. I, I hope that someone has attempted to disciple you. Even a greater hope is right now you are pouring your life of Christ into someone else. I have to confess that I get in a hurry sometimes and I don't do this like I should. As in the classroom or on the job, so it is in our Christian walk. We learn best when we're not told, but we're shown. Where somebody pulls us out of our seat in church and disciples us 101 through every, everyday disciplines of Christian life. We need to see how our faith plays out outside of this building. And we need to see it shown in others so we can learn from that. Jesus was the master discipler. 
You know, when you think about how he did this, he didn't stand and preach to the masses. He did on Sermon on the Mount. But the vast majority of the time was spent with 12 guys. He picked them out. And that's who he hung out with. He, did, he handpicked them. He did life with them. Mark 3, 13 through 14 says, And he went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And so he spent three years with them, pouring his life into him, living with them, sleeping and eating and on and on and on, all facets of life Christ did with these guys. Till that one day on the Mount of Olives, as they watched him go up into the clouds, and this is what he told them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Can you imagine as they watched him leave and they were standing there alone, the conversation maybe that they had? Who's going to tell us what to do? Who's going to show us? Because I'm sure when they were with Christ, in every situation that they faced, they always pushed him to the front. He was always their go-between. But now there they stood alone. Of course, you know, in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and that's when the power came. But... I don't think they realized it at the time. Paul was one of the master's best students as well. The Corinthians were struggling. They were new at this faith walk. And they needed somebody to come in, come alongside them and show them. And that's what Paul went. He went there to tutor them. In this day and age of uncertainty to me in our world, I don't think we realize what could happen in the future. Francis Chan tells us now how important discipleship is now and what the reasons that might be for our future. Let's watch. Sure. Because, here's the thing, and, and I'm not trying to be prophetic right now, I'm just using my logic, and I'm going, I think the way the world is going, the way the U.S. is going... I think there's going to come a time, and it's probably going to be sooner than later, when what I do in a public forum is going to be labeled as a hate crime. That a lot of things that we teach will be labeled as hate speech. And will these public forums even be able to take place? And as we get closer to that, and there becomes this little war of whether we can do it or not, we'll be so consumed with winning this war that we'll forget about preparing for the future. And again, let me, just, let me just throw a couple examples out at you. And I'm not saying this is where the U.S. is going. Understand me. I just want to throw a thought out at you. And again, it's from history, which I'm terrible at history. But this I do know because I read it in a book. Um, <laughs> we had these communist revolutions in China and in Russia. In both revolutions, they were trying to kill the church, Right? I mean, the whole point is we're going we're gonna to destroy the church. And now in Russia, everything was built around cathedrals and these priests. Everything was centered around these buildings and these teachers. The moment the government took away these teachers and the church assets, the people didn't know where to turn. They didn't know how to grow. They didn't know how to disciple. And so the church 
basically died. In China, same thing happened. And, and, and under, under Mao Zedong, they, they, they tried to, uh, they got rid of all the, the buildings. But there was something different about the, the church in China. See, what before all that happened, they had empowered the ordinary Christians. And the ordinary Christians knew how to lead others to the Lord. The everyday church attender knew how to teach others how to grow in their faith. So when they took away the leaders and they took away the church buildings, the church was fine. The people were fine. In fact, under Mao Zedong, the church, the persecuted church, grew from 2 million to an estimated about 80 million in these underground gatherings. Why? Because the people, they understood how to minister to other people. They knew how to teach other people. And I just want you to look at your life and go, okay, which camp would I fall into? Would I be one of those that's just lost? Like, wow, what do we do now? The building's gone? The leadership's gone? Or do you just go, we don't really need a building. And I know the word of God. And I know how to lead other people. And I, I, when I look at what God's doing with people craving this type of leadership and this type of movement, I go, it could be the Lord preparing us for the future. And it's pretty exciting to be a part of that. And I hope you get excited about that. And I hope you go, okay, what would it look like for me? And am I this leader? Am I making a disciple? Because regardless, biblically, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Sure. Because, here's the thing. And, and I'm not trying to be prophetic right now. I'm just using my logic. And I'm going, I think the way... You get his point. We don't know the future. I can't make any guarantees that we won't ever be under a foreign power. We don't think we will. It's absurd to talk about it. But he makes a great point. Is if the day come when we couldn't meet, would the church continue to go on because you know how to love people, you know how to minister to them. I think that's, you know, that, that's the point. Paul gives six principles of discipleship. And the first one is this. Discipleship starts with those who know where they're going. Paul laid out an itinerary for himself. He had planned to visit Macedonia in verse 5 and then travel on to Corinth. Well, the Corinthians didn't think he'd show up, but he, but he did. And the reason he showed up, because Paul had direction in his life. The Holy Spirit guided him. He had come to that point where he could push his old nature aside and let the old nature take over and be in charge of his life. And that's what God wants with you and I as well. Jesus always knew the way and he always showed others. He was a quintessential teacher. He knew where he was going and his confidence in the Father and in himself attracted people like a magnet to him. I ask you today, is your life guided by the Holy Spirit? Do you set your itinerary or do you let God set it? I think we'll be surprised someday, and I yammer about this incessantly, but when you and I are front and center and we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ and he plays this video of our life back, 
do you think he'll show us all the opportunities that we missed? Where he strategically put us in a place, gave us the words to say, and we locked up. We didn't say them. I, I don't know. But I think that's the, that's the point. Do we know the way enough to be able to tell others about it? Second principle of discipleship. Discipleship means getting personally involved for an extended period of time. It's like a tutor that takes on a student. He doesn't do it for two weeks or she doesn't do it for two weeks. They do it for a whole semester. They hang out with him. They try to teach him these things. Verses six and seven. And perhaps I shall stay with you, Paul said, or even spend the winter that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing for I hope to remain with you for some time. The word with in these verses carries the idea of intimate involved involvement. He just didn't want to take a tick, quick tour of the city and hit the road. He wanted to move in there. He wanted to do life with them. Discipleship is face to face. After Jesus calls the disciples, one of the first things he did was take some of them home with him. Letting them pass the front porch of his life. He knew to build disciples, you couldn't do it by proxy. You had to do it being in the same room. You had to do it sitting across the same table for a substantial period of time. And that's, that's what he did. Are you willing to spend time necessary to help build a spiritual foundation in others? That is the point. Third principle, discipleship is sustained by the Lord's permission. Paul hinges his visit on the condition, if the Lord permits. Paul saw that as God was guiding and directing him. That he, the Holy Spirit, would lead Paul to the people that he needed to pour his life into. He didn't pick them. He did eventually, but the fact is... The Holy Spirit guided him to those people. Fourth principle, discipleship. Discipleship flourishes in the context of unguarded honesty. But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul wasn't embarrassed to share God's blessing and his own struggles. He wanted them to know his heart. He wanted to, them to know that he had problems, that he had struggles, and he was transparent with them. You remember the first time you saw your, your teachers, not in the classroom, and you saw them on a weekend or whatever. You saw them in the grocery store, and they had jeans on. When I was a kid, all them teachers really, and they still do today, but they dressed up. And you kind of felt a kinship with them that, you know, Maybe they are more like me than I thought they were. Did you have any teachers that you loved? I have one. <laughs> My first grade teacher, I had sadistic teachers in a sense, I, and I've shared this before. My first grade teacher, when you'd act up, would put you in a dark closet. I always tell people I learned my ABCs in Braille. I was in the dark more than I was in the light. But part of my problem was I had this whacked out idea that school should be fun, that it all should be fun and games, that we should laugh and just goof off the whole time. Teachers don't buy into that philosophy. 
My son Josh, he teaches down at Wabash Valley, and he's happy there because he don't have to worry about the student's parents calling him at night. <laughs> I don't know about Stacy, but I, she, nonetheless, it is what it is. Second grade was my favorite teacher, Mrs. Baker. When she was 90, she died, and I had her funeral, and I know she'd be spinning in her casket if she knew I was preaching her funeral, but... Uh, but one thing about it, what I liked about her, she was grinning when she beat you. <laughs> she didn't have this ferocious growl or anger expression on her face. I don't think she was happy about it, but at least she might have tried to make it a little better than it usually was. I don't know. Third grade, I had a teacher that throw erasers, and it was okay if the chalk felt side hit your head, but man, if that wooden back hit you, it'd leave a knot on your head. Fourth grade, I had a teacher shake you like a rag. I could go on and on, but, and I know the biggest shock today for you is to find out that your pastor wasn't a model student. <laughs> a call for transparency. I love Michael Jr. Steve kind of got me hooked up with watching his videos, but he talks a little bit about this in a sense, transparency. Let's watch. Because you got like Christian friends, where you got some Christian friends who are cool, right? You can hang around with them. You have friends who may not be Christian yet. But then you got Christian friends, right, who are, uh, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to put it out there. You ever know somebody that was oversaved? <laughs> like you can't even have a regular conversation with them. You just try to be like, man, it's a hot one. It's pretty hot. Huh, I'm thirsty. You thirsty? Thirsty for the Lord. Well, uh, okay, I lost my keys. Could you help me find my keys? Seek first the kingdom of God. It's like, I just, I just lost my keys. I don't know. You need the keys to the kingdom. I didn't drive a kingdom today. I just drove a Toyota. And I know as soon as I said oversave, some of y'all already had somebody in mind. But if you didn't, they probably had you in mind. <laughs> you might be oversaved and you don't even know it. I'm going to help you out. This is how you can know if you're oversaved. If you're at the restaurant and you order a fruit salad, you start to pray over it. But your prayer lasts so long. By the time you eat, it's trail mix. <laughs> you oversaved. If your friend buy you a vacuum cleaner and you rebuke it because it's a dirt devil, well, he was talking about being real and transparent. <laughs> Anybody in here have a dirt devil? So sad. <laughs> Fifth principle of discipleship: discipleship is strengthened through mutual support and equal respect. I appreciate Paul. He, to him. Even speaking as a giant himself, he, he says there's no such thing as a spiritual giant. There's nobody closer to God than anyone else in that sense when we work for God. He reminded the Corinthians that all God's spokesmen are to be respected equally. 10 and 11. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. Let no one therefore despise him. 
But send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Here Paul is warning them not to reject Timothy because of his youth and experience. And not to feel that Timothy was second best because Paul was trying to convey, Timothy and I have both been called by God and he's just as important as I am. They both deserved equal support and respect. In the same way, the relationship between the disciple and the person being disciples is to be marked by reciprocal encouragement and esteem. It's the same here at Crossroads with all the staff. Not one staff's any more important than the other or the leadership team. We all realize that I'm not going to be here forever. I'm getting old and I got stuff going on, but it is what it is. But what I want to convey to you that whoever God leads in here, that you treat them like me because they're a person called by God. And I think sometimes people get their wires crossed on that. I love you guys and I'm not planning on leaving in the next 20 minutes, but (laughs) you get my drift. We, We can't live forever in this earth. I can't stay with you till all of you pass on. It's just, I don't want to belabor the point, but I'm just trying to say that God will bring somebody in and you've got to see them as that person of God. And, you know, yeah, I appreciate you loving me and I love you and I respect you, but it is what it is. Sixth, discipleship must allow room for disagreement and individualism. 1 Corinthians 16, 12, Paul closes this series of principles. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. So Paul had an associate named Apollos, and he asked him to come along on this trip. But Apollo declined. And uh, Paul didn't get mad. He honored his individuality. Uh, Paul gave him room to make up his own Mind And it's the same way when we disciple others. We've got to let them be their own individual person. So what happens after the bell rings, so to speak? The goal of discipleship curriculum isn't to make clones out of the classroom masses, but to nurture individuals. We've all been called to serve. We've all been given different gifts and abilities, and none of us are really the same. Some of us might be similar. But we've got to allow who God has called to be that individual and to carry out their gifts the way the Holy Spirit instructs them to do. It's best with us that we pour our lives into others. The most important thing that you have going for you as a follower of Christ is your story because it's not like any others. It might surprise you, but I wouldn't call myself a Bible thumper. When you're one-on-one with somebody, that usually doesn't work unless they're completely neurotic. What works is you saying, you know what? I was without God at one time in my life, and things didn't go so well. But I came to Christ, and 
here's what he's done for me. He set my, pat, my, my feet on a straight path. It's a solid path. He fills me with joy and peace and comfort every day if I allow him. He saved my marriage. He allowed me to raise my own children. He gives me purpose in life. I can lay my head on a pillow at night and the vast majority of time go right to sleep. He can do the same for you, but it's your choice. You see, you see the difference. And that's what God wants all of us to do. There's nobody perfect in this room. None of us are close. Here's the truth that people don't like to hear sometimes if they're real pious. Here's my definition of the church. We're all messed up. We need God and each other to get through life. If you're really pious, you don't like that because you've put yourself up here somewhere. Don't kid yourself. You'll have an old nature till, they, till that the breath leaves your lungs. And it, praise God, it's buried. But nonetheless, that's who we are. You, that helps me to know that I'm not perfect. It, it helps me rely on God more. And I know there's some days that I'm going to say things I shouldn't and think things that I shouldn't. And the Holy Spirit convicts me. And all I have to do is say, I'm sorry, Lord. And he wipes it away. But that's, that's, that's what I'm getting at today, that you have a story that you can pour into other people's lives and that's a little farther back from you maybe in your spiritual walk. I think sometimes we abandon new believers on the doorstep and we don't, we don't take them under our wings. And then we wonder why they don't do so well. So pray about who God might want you to take under their wing and show what it's like to be a follower of Christ. Do life with them. And whether we like it or not, we're a teacher, either good nor bad, for bad. People watch what you do, they hear what you say. Here's four stages of responsibility for a disciple and a discipler as they grow. Stage one, I do, you watch. Stage two, I do, you help. Stage three, you do, I help. And then stage four is you do as I watch. As you kind of transform that, trans, help transform them in their life. You know, this is serious business. And like I said, I don't know the future of the church. God promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But nonetheless, between now and then, a lot can happen to us. And the growth, our growth, the growth at Crossroads, it all depends on how committed you are to making it happen. It's on, it's on all of us, actually. Lord, I love these guys, and I am happy. I'm proud to be their pastor. But Lord, there's a lot of things that we have to do on our own in life that we can't do for each other. We have to cowboy up and say, Lord, I'm going I'm to be your servant. I'm going to do what you ask. Show me, Lord, who I need to reach out to. Show me, Lord, who I need to take under my arm and, and kind of show them I'm not arrived yet, but I'm a little farther down the journey. And help me, help me show them that and, and to encourage them and help them, Father, to get where they need to be. That's my prayer this morning. Lord, just help us to be open and honest as you speak to our hearts. For we ask in the name of Christ, amen.